Thank you for tuning in for part two of Leadership 101 with Bill Purvis. Let's continue with this lesson. Second thing I do real quickly is this. Create a team. We can do more together than we never do alone. You have to have a team. Uh, years ago, I, I used to take my boys and we'd go uh, quail hunting with the old Auburn coach over here, Pat Dye. And that was the experience in itself. You know, you'd go out and go quail hunting, then you'd come down and have lunch, and coach would tell us these old stories. And I mean, he's just old crusty, bottom line guy. But I remember one time he said something that made a lot of sense. We were talking about building a championship team, and somebody was doing good that day uh, during that season. And he said, Bill, you don't need a lot of stars to build a winning team. He said, you need two stars. He said, one alone won't do it. You need two. He said, but if you can get two stars, you're good. But the way you win is not with stars. You have to have a team. He said, there's a difference between people that are all in with each other, that'll bleed for each other, that'll sweat for each other, that'll break a bone for each other. There's a difference between that and people that just wear the uniform and say we're a team. He said, when you get a team and they're really rallied, you can win a championship. And that's true. You look over the years and you'll see the ones that really win have all come to, you need a team. Uh, people are gifted, need a place to serve. So if, I'm, if I've got a vision, now I want to say, who do I know that can help me to reach that place? And then you empower people. Let me help you with power. The purpose of power is to empower. I've never heard anybody say it, but I've said it all my life. I know it's true. Most people think the purpose of power is for your position or for your uh, popularity or for your finances or for your benefits. The purpose of power is not for yourself. The purpose of power is to empower. Years ago, I wanted to buy our first house and we were we didn't have much. We didn't have two nickels rubbed together then. I'd not sold any books or done much. And we were just struggling. And I remember I went to buy our first house, and it was going to cost me $78,000. And Debbie said, why don't you go ask her for 100 And I said, 100 Are you kidding? The 78 scared me. She said, no, go ask. And so this guy was going to build me a house on two acres of land that I bought, and he's going to do it for 78000 And Debbie said, just ask him for 100 uh, Ask her. And I said, Debbie, I can't do that. I Man, that's so much. She said, you got to do it. And so I got over there. Now I'm waiting. This girl's in her office to loan the money at CB&T and a doctor comes in before me. He's got his scrubs on. He's a surgeon. He's all dressed up. He walks in. Next thing I, he I hear him cursing at her. She said, we're not going to make you this loan. And she said, I don't care. You still owe us X amount and you, until you pay up on that, we can't make this on. He said, you know how much money I have? You know how many surgeries I do? Do you know who I am? And he's just giving it to her. And she's saying, I'm sorry, you're not getting your money. And he wanted way up in the millions. I'm sitting here in the hallway thinking, I ain't going to ask her. She done told him no. What, she going to kick me out. I went in there and when I proposed it, I said, I, I want to see if I can get 100. She looked at my stuff and said, absolutely. Yeah, your credit's good. You, you've never paid a debt late in your life. Sure, you're good. And I remember walking out that day, loving that lady. I hate to say it, but she died about three months after that loan. She was killed in a car wreck. But I am so grateful. She understood the purpose of power was to empower. She saw a young couple that didn't have much, but they had done best and had a good name. And she said, my job is not to put a thumb on people. My job is to lift people. That's what your job is. 
If you're a person that has power and you can make somebody's life better, do that. Anybody can put a thumb down. Anybody can say no. Anybody can say, I'm sorry, rules say. But when, you're, when you have an opportunity to help somebody else, remember the purpose of power, the reason you're there is to lift them and set them free. What she did for me that day, I've not forgotten to this day because there was somebody who saw their job as how do I help somebody else. And so that's the goal with it. Now on top of that, the third thing I'd say is this, have a whatever it takes attitude. And Nehemiah had that, Nehemiah had opposition, adversity, and critics, but his attitude was, no matter what, I'm going. I have, my youngest son is a pilot, and he's a good one too, but I'll tell you one thing that, that uh, he, he taught me years ago, I asked him, was it true, before I explained it, he said, yeah, it's true. In an airplane on the cockpit there, they have an attitude indicator, and if you, if you do what's called a nose-high attitude, the plane goes up. If you do nose down, the plane goes down. Same is true in your life. If your attitude is high and looking up, you'll go further. If your attitude is down where the whole world stinks and everybody's against me and it's so bad and I'm such a victim, you can live that way. Or you can say, I have an opportunity. I can make it in life. This is for me. This, if you begin to change your attitude, you will change your altitude where you go in life. How far you go, you know this, all things being equal, same education, same background, same everything, you'll choose the person with a better attitude every time. Every single time you'll take that person with the best. I was at a ball game one time watching a guy selling beer, and he was selling beer up and down the stands. I took my boys, now on the mound is John Smoltz, and over here is Ken Griffey Jr., and it's one of the best games but none of us can watch the game because the guy selling the beer is the greatest salesman I've ever seen. He's bouncing up and down, beer here, beer. He's throwing it behind his back. He's putting it under his leg. He's, I mean, this guy's all, and now I notice the whole, we're all staring at what I call old beer here. We're watching this man. And they're hitting the ball out here, but we're, we, this guy's got a passion and enthusiasm and zeal. And I'm saying to myself, man, I need to hire him. He, he could do something in the church, sure. I know he's selling beer right now, but we, could, we need that because I saw the passion in him. It's a whatever it takes attitude. When you get that, nobody can stop you. I think about a guy who was on an airplane, 40 years of age, never been married, shy as could be, couldn't meet a friend if he tried. He just was shy, self-conscious. And he's going home for Christmas, and he knew when he got there, his mom and dad and relatives are going to harass him with, you're 40, you're not dating anybody. When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When can we have grandkids? And he just knew, I hate going home because i got to live with that. And he said, I'm just too shy. He gets on an airplane. He walks by first class, and there's this breathtakingly beautiful girl. He sees her, and he thinks, man, if I ever wanted to marry somebody, that'd be her. So he walks back and sits in his seat and says, okay, for the first time in my life, I'm going to get courage. I'm going to go ask her for a date. Where's she going to go? She can't jump out of the plane. He said, I'm going to do it. But then he thought, no, a pretty girl like that, she's had a lot of proposals. She's heard a lot of lines. i got to be unique. So he had one. He said, I know. I'll pretend I'm a reporter, and I'm writing a story on pretty women. And what do pretty women find attractive in men? So he walked up to her and he said, I said, excuse me, ma'am, but before we get too far, can I ask you a question? He said, I'm a reporter writing a story and I was looking for an attractive woman and you obviously are one. What, what do attractive women like you find attractive in a man? 
He thought, what if she says, I'm going to be it? And so she says, okay, well, I never thought about it. She said, well, I like that Indian look. He thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble already. He said, the Indian? She said, yeah, you know, that strong jawbone, the way they stand erect. They're slow with their words. They just say specifically what they want. He writes down, okay, Indian, uh, this is getting hard. He said, anything else? She said, well, yeah, I like the Jewish man. He said, Jew? She said, yeah. She said, you know, they watch their money. They're going to take care of you. If something happens to you, you're going to be financially set. He says, oh, no. He looks at his notes, Indian, Jew. He says, uh, anything else? He's scared to ask. She said, yeah. She said, I, I'm embarrassed to say, but I like that old Southern guy, you know, with the big truck and the tires. And he goes, oh, no. Indian, Jew, Southern. And then she looked at him. She said, I'm so embarrassed. Here I am telling you all these things I like in a man. I don't even know you. She said, what's your name? He looked at his note. He looked at her. He said, my name? Huh. My name is Geronimo Goldstein. <laughs> but my friends call me Bubba. There's a guy who says, whatever it takes, I'll be whatever it takes. In your life, you got you to say, whatever it takes to do that, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I, I used this about my youngest son, Blake, when he met his wife, Victoria. He, Blake had dated everybody. I used to tell him, Blake, date one girl. No, life's a smorgasbord. And so uh, we never could, you know, we, he just, we had to pray for him a lot. And then... <laughs> He was in flight school down in Florida, and his wife, who was beautiful, long-legged, long black-haired girl named Victoria, Blake's girlfriend, her, her, Victoria that day, had told her mother, said, I, uh, she said, I, I just want to meet a guy, the right guy. And her mother said, go to so-and-so bowling alley. That's where they all hang out. And by the way, your old friend Billy is back in town. He saw me the other day, and he's going over there this afternoon. I told him you'd be there. She said, really? I'll go see Billy. So she went over there. She said, what's he driving? She said, he's driving a red Mustang. Well, Blake was in flight school. He's driving a red Mustang. And Blake was talking to his uncle, and he said, I guess it's time for me to settle down. You know, and he said, well, you can meet somebody over at Bowling Alley. So Blake said, okay, I'll go over there. So Blake says, I drive up. I get out of my car. When I get out of my car, this beautiful girl hollers at me, Billy. He said, I looked around. There wasn't nobody but me. I'll be Billy. <laughs> He said, hey, how you doing? He said, we hug, we start talking. I hadn't seen you in a long time, Billy. No, we hadn't. <laughs> she said, I went for a whole hour with him not knowing that wasn't Billy. For a whole hour. Finally, after they'd been together for a while and they got to really liking each other, then he said, oh, by the way, I don't know who Billy is. My name is Blake. And she said, well, I knew I hadn't seen you in a long time. I said, Blake, why'd you do it? He said, Dad, when a good-looking girl like that wants you, you be Billy, you be Fred, you be Willie. <laughs> Whatever, I'll be anybody. That, that's, that's, the, that's how you win. Be who you can. You know, it's literally the whatever it takes attitude. And, and then on top of that, there's, there's this. There's be results oriented. I love the fact that Nehemiah had some critics and they came and said, you're not going to build this wall. Why? You're not builders. If a fox walked on your wall, it'd fall down. And Nehemiah just said, no, we will find success. And Nehemiah argued back with him. He said, I'm not going to dialogue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. They said, come meet me at the plain of Ono and let's discuss it. He said, oh no, I'm not going to discuss it. I know what I'm doing. And Nehemiah was results oriented. Leaders look for a way to be results oriented. I have a friend named Bobby Howard that's a legend in baseball. 
And uh, it literally, can, he can take any team just about and take them to the top. But Bobby used to have a saying, he don't like long explanations. And he used to hate people to give excuses. And so he talked like this right here, and Bobby would be talking to you, and he'd have a player come in, well, why don't you do so-and-so? And the player would say, well, coach, here's what, he, and Bobby would stop. I, 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 stop. Don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the baby. <laughs> and I remember he'd say that all the time. Don't tell me about your labor pains. Just show me the baby. That is, don't tell me how hard it was. Don't tell me how difficult it was, how awful it's going to be. Just show me the results. Did it happen? Did it not? And so that's what you want. Just a literal attitude of I'm going to be results-oriented. I will win no matter what. I will win. And, and plan for it to be uncomfortable at times. Plan for there to be adversity. Plan for there to be things not perfect. That's okay. i never forget one time being in a car with a businessman. First time I ever kind of learned it. I'm driving down the road with him. We were in Atlanta, Georgia. He took me over there. I wanted to learn a lot. So I had all of these questions. And as we're driving back, his cell phone rang, and it was a cell phone that, you know, it mounted in the car. In those days, they had a mounted in the car. And he, uh, he hit the button. It was on speaker. He said, yeah, what can I do? And the, the lady, his assistant, he had, he had about 30,000 uh, 30, employees. In this one particular company, he probably had 2,000. And I remember that the secretary said, you got to get here quick. James is here. That was his right-hand man. He said, James is mad. He's got everybody upset. I mean, he's angry. And he said, he, this whole company's about to shut down. You got to get here quick. And I was thinking he'd be saying, oh, no, there's a problem. And my right-hand man says, this guy kicked into leadership mode that fast. He said, James there now? He said, yeah. He said, good. She said, then he's mad. And I'll never forget. He said, good, because I'm mad too. He said, you tell him, tell him to stay there till I get there. He said, if I get there and he's exactly what you're saying, he'll be standing in the bread line by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Then he hung up the phone. I remember looking at this guy and saying, man, what a leader. Instead of saying, oh, no, he's mad. How do I? Yeah, I'm mad too. <laughs> and he just met it with, I'm not going to let my company be run in the ditch by one disgruntled employee. And I don't know how it ended up, but I sure loved the way he quickly took charge. He didn't get on defense. He didn't get back in and say, oh, no, what are we going to do? The company's going to fall apart. He said, he's mad. Yeah, I'm mad too. I just loved, at that moment, I said, there's a leader. There's a guy that there's a problem. He's stepping up and facing that problem. That's results-oriented. And then the last thing I tell you to do is this. No matter how you succeed in life, what you do, this one is the most important. Have a grateful heart. When Nehemiah had accomplished everything, the one thing he did was he was humble about it. Uh, there's Jesus one time healed 10 lepers. Nine of them kept going. One of them turned around and said, thank you. A grateful heart means this. It means that never let pride get in your heart. My wife has a saying that I've always loved. Her saying is, pride doesn't look good on anybody. And it doesn't. Pride doesn't look good on anyone. I heard about the woodpecker one time that was out there hitting on a tree out there in, in Seattle. You know, those great big trees. And he was pecking on the tree. And all of a sudden, lightning hit and split that tree in half. Knocked the woodpecker to the ground. He's seeing stars. He flew off dazed. But he came back about 20 minutes later with 10 other woodpeckers. He said, there it is, boys, right there. That's the one I knocked down. <laughs> it's easy to get pride. Don't take the pride ride. When you succeed, when you do well, remember where you came from. Remember who was there when nobody else was there. Remember when you didn't have anything and somebody helped you. 
When you, when you get to the top, stop and think about the people around you that you can help to pull up and make them better. That issue of having a grateful heart is going to be the key to how far you go in life. If you don't do it, here's what happens. If you don't do it, you'll, you'll enjoy your success all by yourself. The goal is not to be a king. The goal is to be a king maker. How many kings can we make? How many other people can we set free? When you make progress, remember where you came from. Remember what it took to get you there. And especially remember who helped you. Those are the things I call Leadership 101. As we wrap up this month's lesson, let's remember that when you succeed, remember where you came from. The goal is not to be a king, but a king maker. So much great content in this lesson. Each month, we share these lessons at a live event to anyone in the Columbus, Georgia area. We encourage you to join us if you can because there is always a delicious lunch, great fellowship, giveaways, and so much more. If you would like more information on dates and times of these events, you can visit bpleadership.com. This is where real leaders are made.